Hello there, A24 fans. My name's Eric Kiska, and I will be your host tonight for a review of the film American Honey, starring Sasha Lane and actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. If you are unfamiliar with us, we are a ragtag group of film buffs who are reviewing every single film in A24's library in chronological order of distribution. Our reviewing styles might not be that of a film critic or filmmaker with a degree from USC. None of us are published as film critics, nor have we made any money in Hollywood, but hopefully that's our charm. We are just four Midwesterners who enjoy movies and drinking. Think of us as four people you might see debating in a late-night letterbox forum who have had a couple or maybe a few too many drinks. First things first, though, let us tell you what we are sipping on in honor of this very American film. I'm drinking the best Canadian domestic beer out there, Labatt Blue. Up next, we have my beautiful wife, Kelly. Hey, this is me, Eric's beautiful wife, Kelly. He said it, not me. I'm drinking the same thing as my husband because we live in the same house. Thanks for tuning into our show while I sip on a Labatt Blue. Hi, my name is Cole William Whitlock Gibson, resident Canadian. Uh, tonight I am drinking a highball whiskey seltzer from a can because I'm a fancy boy. Up next, we got my boy, Kevin. Good evening, world. This is Kevin K. Konachek, and tonight I am drinking Breckenridge bourbon whiskey in a makeshift whiskey sour, which is just basically lemonade concentrate, sweet, sour mix, and bourbon. So whiskey, <laughs> as, as per normal for me, uh, which is pretty great. So uh, happy to be here and happy to be drinking whiskey and talking movies and music with you, but specifically movies. God bless America. American Honey. This movie had its premiere at Cannes Film Festival on May 15th, 2016, where it won the jury prize and was a candidate for the Palme d'Or. It was distributed in the U.S. by A24 on September 30th, 2016. It's about a woman named Star, who's played by Sasha Lane. We drop into her life saying she takes care of her half-brother and half-sister, and while they're getting food at a supermarket, Star meets a man named Jake, who offers her a job making, quote-unquote, $300 a day. And after one rough day at home where her father molests her, and it is heavily implied that her dad is sexually abusive towards her, Star decides to drop her half-brother and sister off with their biological mom at the local Frogwild Saloon before she joins Jake on the road as part of a magazine sales crew. Andrea Arnold wrote and directed this movie, and she was inspired to make this film after reading a 2007 New York Times article written by Ian Urbina, about the brutally unregulated industry of door-to-door magazine sales. So a uh, little excerpt from this article, because I, I read it, and I wanted to, you know, just actually, like, get a quote from here to kind of say what this article said. Quote, Crew members cross 10 states, peddling subscriptions door-to-door, 10 to 14 hours a day, 6 days a week, sleeping 3 to room in cheap motels, lowest seller on the floor, they survived some days on less than $10 in food money while their earnings were kept, quote-unquote, on the books for later payment. By then, Mr. Pope said, he had seen several friends severely beaten by managers. He and several other crew members were regularly smoking meth with prostitutes living down the motel hallway, and there were warrants out for his arrest in five states for selling subscriptions without a permit. Um, and so I just wanted to ask a general question. Were any of you aware of this industry before and its 
horrors before seeing this movie? So I was aware that there was an industry in selling magazines, but it was a very, very wholesome version set in an elementary school where you used to literally do door-to-door magazine sales to, oh, yeah. to, the, to oh, grandmas yeah. and people. No, I had zero idea that there was a dark underbelly in the world of magazine sales. And I quickly found out after finishing this film and diving into YouTube and just, like, getting my eyes open, like, holy crap, this is real. This is a real damn thing. And that's why this movie felt as visceral as it did. So, no, I had no idea, and I'm glad this movie exists, so I do know now. Yeah. Kelly, Cole, you hear about it at all? Or I feel like I had an idea, but I had no idea how much. It was reminiscent of, in my life after I graduated college, I did some odd jobs for a while. And... One of them was taking pictures, school photos for children, like in elementary school, up to high school. And that was totally fine. Whatever. I had to drive all across the state, but it was just me. Until one time, then I got picked up by the actual owner of it, who was like, we're going to all go down across state lines. We're going to take a carpool. We're going to stay in a motel. We're going to share rooms. And you're going to do school photos for college graduation. And the whole kind of road trip that we took and the way that we all like piled into like a red roof in rooms, guys and girls, was kind of reminiscent of this. Nowhere near the amount of extreme, and I was older than most of the children in this movie, but because that exists, it just makes sense that something like this exists. Yep. That motel life, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Don't talk to the children at motels, right? That's one of the rules. Definitely. I want you to all kind of talk about Star's home life a bit here, but uh, how we get introduced to her world, my question is, um, do you you believe our director and writer, Andrea Arnold, created a believable world? And uh, what did you think of the scenery in this world? And I'm going to go to Cole for this, because he actually lives in... Uh, Savannah, and but or sorry, he lives kind of all over, but he uh, has driven around a lot of the South. Do you think she did a good job in creating believable world in, in here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been to a lot of the places that they listed. Um, I lived in Kansas City. I've been to Rapid City. Um, I've been um, through Nebraska lengthwise uh, multiple times driving through. It's quite boring. Um, no, I thought I thought they did a good job capturing it. I will say. Um, I was a little disappointed that they never went into any of the cities. So like they drove through the outskirts and went immediately to the suburbs. Mm. But from a story standpoint, it obviously makes sense. You're not going to go selling magazines door to door through all the uh, skyscrapers and stuff, right? You're going to go door to door where are the suburbs you are going to go to, you know, the outskirts of cities and things like that. And the trucks, truck stops. So it made sense. Um, they captured it very well in terms of traveling across the country and, you know, I've done some road trips, not quite to the extreme of these people, but, you know, they've definitely captured the vibe and the essence of traveling through those places. And you can go from some places that are nice, like Kansas City, and end up in some pretty weird, slummy parts. Uh, and they indicated and showed that pretty well throughout the film. No, as someone who's also done several road trips through those areas and uh, <laughs> seen a lot of those weird truck stops and just kind of the dumpy side roads of those like Nebraska highways, I thought they did a great job. And like you alluded to, um, or actually, we don't know if we've talked about it or not, but uh, the film crew did a lot of the driving um, as well. Like they did a 12,000 mile trip for the filming of this feature. So you get to see exactly what they're doing. That's just them driving across the country. And so does it represent it? Absolutely. Because you're literally just doing a first person view of them doing it. And that's as close as you can get to do the real thing. 
Agreed. I want to kind of weigh in too that the front half of this movie, when they specifically were in the grocery store, when the three of them walked in there super early on, and she's kind of just looking around, watching people, the close shots really close on her face, but specifically the feel and atmosphere of the grocery store, I was thought in my head, like, this is what you should show like a European who wants to travel to America, (laughs) because that's every town. Every town yeah. looks like that in the grocery store. So that was super accurate. And then even like them kind of like being foolish in the front of the store to the music and everything. That's something that carries on forever and ever. You see that kind of stuff anywhere that you go. So I thought that that was super believable. And also I had to think to myself the way that they made her house um, and the other homes that we go into all these kind of things, that's set design because it felt so legitimate to me. I like the focus on um, all the bugs even. <laughs> that's something that carries on throughout the movie. But We'll get to that for sure. Yeah, yep. that's something that like because it was incorporated in that way and the it was a very authentic kind of way that the homes were represented. I 100% very believable world that we're in. And a quick aside sure. note: our director isn't American. She's she's um you know for a minute, she's British. So yep. to have to be able to do oh. that and to be able to capture that Americana side of things just shows how much of a, an in touch um, sense she has mm-hmm. in this project. Yeah, funny uh, fact is like I I, I was uh, preparing for this podcast and. Well, she's British, but I also listened to some British podcasters uh, review this movie, and they were just like, yeah, this is just what it's like. (laughs) You know, like, it's just, that's what it looks like between all these towns. You don't have, like, you know, British countryside, like, carrying you over, you know, like, so, I don't know, that was funny to hear. So visceral. I'm just like, we're so used to it. I lived in the Upper Peninsula. In a different way, it kind of still, you know, looks like middle America. There's a lot of just, Mm -hmm. like, poor white people, uh, and, yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of this movie was shot in a- in the actual locations they mentioned in this movie. The first shots we see are in Oklahoma, and this takes place, the start takes place in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And, uh, yeah, I think they do a great job of showing kind of poor and downtrodden south, the South and Middle America, uh, how it is nowadays. And our director, Andrea Arnold, actually did an American road trip from California to Miami before writing this movie. So she read the article, did a road trip wrote the movie, and um, yeah, I think she really hit the nail on the head here. And fun fact, uh, I think this was the first time Donald Trump was mentioned in an A24 film. Uh, (laughs) There was a screenplay for this, but a lot of this film was improvised, so I'm guessing that the Shia LaBeouf line had about his pants. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was improvised. They started shooting in May of 2015 and ended in July of 2000, or sorry, started shooting in May of... Yeah, 2015, ended in July of 2015, and Trump Trump announced his presidential run in June of 2015. I don't know if you guys all remember that mm-hmm. time, but there was a lot of coverage oh, yeah. of him because he said a lot of fucked up shit right away. Oh, yeah, you know? no, he was but, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The coverage so. stopped. Shia LaBeouf goes on to, he will not divide us. Yeah. That, that's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm guessing there's a little overlap here. But um, going back to what you're talking about with bugs, Kelly. So... Why do you think there is so much focus on bugs, insects, animals, and, like, why is Star always saving bugs, insects, and animals in this film? Are you asking me specifically? Mm -hmm. Um, The way that I interpreted that was she cares for the helpless. I think what else is more helpless than bugs (laughs) sometimes? (laughs) 
especially when they live amongst us and our first instance is to squash them upon sight. And if that's the phrase that I'm going to use, what else does that allude to? So Mm. the fact that she takes care of them, we see her capturing bees, letting them outside, getting a bee saved from the water. She whispers like, I got you to it. She takes care of children. We see that as well. That's just kind of who she is as a person. Metaphor for lower class America, pretty simply put, right? (laughs) And yeah, yeah. a lot of this movie. uh, Oh, Kevin. I was just taking a a certain note um, throughout all of those instances of those um, different animals. There was a ton of references to animals that were were winged, right? We saw a lot of different um, bats, moths, flies, bees, butterflies, Mm -hmm. all different things that are, are, are that have wings. And for me, that's definitely just a metaphor of for her just finding her wings, finding her ability to fly out of that trapped situation to, to do something that was out of her norm um, and to, to simply fly away, as they say. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I yeah. you saw it throughout, even when you had a fly representing poverty and the downtroddenness, because you saw a lot of that. There was a huge use of like reminding the viewer that this is a poor area or this is something bad situation. They still found ways to incorporate it even into the positiveness throughout. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. That's a good point you make. Skipping forward to the turtle mm-hmm. at the end, I, I'm not going to go into the full scene, but you know when you help a turtle uh, off its back, it just runs right into the lake, you know? And so that's kind of a good metaphor. Like when you actually provide help for a person in need, then usually they, uh, they can start helping themselves after they get the initial help, you know? So... I think that's a good point for the metaphor there. And this movie was street cast. So Andrea Arnold and the casting director cast the majority of this ensemble by going to Panama City Beach and finding drunk teenagers on the beach and then directing them to a tent in a Walmart parking lot to audition. And that includes our lead actress, Sasha Lane, who was literally on spring break in Panama City Beach, sunbathing on the beach when she was approached by Andrea Arnold. You're telling um, me she was yeah. on spring break? She was on spring break forever. <laughs> and so I was going to, uh, Kevin, what do you think of this choice to street cast? Uh, was it beneficial to make the characters more believable? And also, what do you think of Sasha Wayne and how she portrayed Star? All right, first off, absolutely crucial to the um, authentic nature of this film um, is the street casting. If this movie was meant to recreate the actual world of these magazine kids and meant to recreate this middle America that we see, she has to take from that. And she knows that this film doesn't have a lot of heavy dialogue moments. She wrote the screenplay. She knows what she's looking for. So she knows that she's looking for something raw and visceral. And she took a risk, right? You have no idea what you're going to get when you do this type of casting. But you also take you know, the reward is huge. Um, And you get someone like Sasha Lane who comes out to be this absolute tour de force of a visceral actress. And we'll go more into her entire performance, but I really think that that idea of finding the people that fit your profile out in the wilderness, I guess, or in the wild and bringing them in is the best way to do it instead of like, I don't know, putting up a big sign and say everybody come and audition for this. You get the she she goes on comment and saying she looked for the people that represented the people that she saw when she was doing her own road trip. She literally saw these people, so she knows what she's looking for, and she just looked for the people that represented those folks. So authentic, uh, real, awesome, great approach. Uh, Shasha Lang in general, um, Lane. I thought her performance was mm-hmm. off of the chart because of the believability that you saw. So many moments, it was probably just 
here's a camera in your face and I want you just to be you. Act yourself, mm-hmm. do what you want to do in this situation. We're just in a van with for thousands of miles. We're just going to film everything and edit it and just be yourself. And of course, the moments that, and I'm sorry, I'm rambling here, but her performance has a lot of different takes to it. And whether we want to break down like the intimate sex scenes that are existent in this film, because that takes, okay, yep. then I won't go into it too much here, but I just enjoyed her performance. And to find someone like that in that casting is why you do it. So good on her. Great approach. I was going to say, we, we mixed together Spring Breakers with Under the Skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They went out into Spring Break and to capture that. And like we wouldn't be able to say that if we weren't watching every single A24 movie in order. And same mm. for the audience, who's all nerds of this like mm. movie house. Yeah. So that's cool that that's like one plus one equals two, is what we just saw happen before and our, our audiences. And just a quick reminder, Under the Skin, Scarlett Johansson went out into the world and interviewed people just like we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. But sorry to interrupt you, Kelly. Continue. No, all good. But I didn't know that, but I thought that that was the case. And just even having them all together, and we have so many scenes of them all in that van together, they just felt like real kids, real young adults, like from the backgrounds that they're supposed to be from. It was super authentic, like Kevin said. For sure. So a couple of the people that weren't street cast were actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf, who plays Jake, <laughs> and Riley Keogh, who plays Crystal. Cole, what did you think of their characters in this film and their acting chops in this film? As a longtime Even Stevens fan, <laughs> I always do. Oh, I always enjoy Shia LaBeouf, even though he's kind of taken uh, taken some interesting turns recently. But um, I thought I thought he did a, a you know a pretty good job, a, a decent job giving the context or doing a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of dialogue while everyone else was improving and he could, you know, kind of build off of that. I, I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed his long rat tail and um, his random outbursts. <laughs> Crystal, I mean, her performance was fine. I don't have any like negatives really about her performance, but I felt I, I enjoyed Shia LaBeouf's performance a lot. I thought it was, um, you have him with a bunch of people that are not actors and they're all doing improv is like a perfect scenario for Shia LaBeouf to just <laughs> go crazy and <laughs> do full like Shia LaBeouf stuff. So I enjoyed that aspect for sure. But Crystal, yeah. I could take her, take it or leave her. I thought she did. She did a fine job. Nothing outstanding, but Riley yeah. Keogh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kelly, Kevin, you want anything on them or? Oh, Shia LaBeouf. What to say about Shia LaBeouf? Not sure why they decided to go with the, the suspenders and the, the business casual look. I'm not sure that really was <laughs> overly authentic to what a, a magazine kid in the 2000s would have been wearing. But hey, for his eccentric character, it, it certainly worked. Um, and like Cole mentioned, our, our makeup and costume design um, with his piercings and hair, it was definitely... Um, going for the magnetic character and it absolutely worked. Um, he has a couple early lines that talks about like everybody wants me and just like his exudes uh, charisma in this role. It, it works really, really well because you have to have that Jake's the character him is, is a really driving force in this entire film and without him, it doesn't work. So you have to have a charismatic lead that is willing to, to take some risks to kind of have that over the top performance that we can allow a new actress like Sasha Lane to kind of blossom underneath. So that think that dichotomy was probably really great when they were filming it. Um, I think in general, uh, the performance from uh, Riley Keogh put me, it was unsettling. It was, it was exactly what it needed to be. It was a female antagonist boss character that 
at all times was turned on to a hundred and did the role and never turned it off. And the tension that you got without even saying a word from her character, her body language alone was phenomenal. Just standing across the room and just staring at our main character and just like you, the silence that the director created was, was a huge amount into her, her performance as a, as an actress. So I thought those two worked well together and it probably was an interesting dichotomy being the only two professionals in a room full of all these newbies and how that, might have worked while filming in the background. It probably would have been cool to have been a fly on that wall. I loved the unveiling of Crystal as a character. I loved, Eric knows this, he was in the room with me, I loved Crystal as a character. Like Kevin said, just the female antagonist ramped up to a thousand. You want to be her, in a way. What? She's like, not wrong. I think our main character yeah, does. <laughs> I think our main character does. Okay. I think that I want to at that point. She's like a mafia boss. She's super hot. She's got guys crawling at her feet, putting tanning lotion on her legs. That and you want that yeah, guy driving the convertible, like all the money. Yeah. yeah, he's driving it for her. That's 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 her bitch. Like honestly, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I loved the unveiling yeah. of her because it was such like a good kind of feminine perspective. Because at this point, we don't know what Star's getting herself into, and neither does she. She sees Shia LaBeouf who put a little a twinkle in her eye for better for lack of a better term came out at the right time and she's ready to give it all up and follow this road trip and she just sees him and a bunch of guys fooling around in a parking lot suddenly this woman comes out and you can kind of see from star's perspective like oh there's another girl in this group and it's that like without them saying anything you can see all the analysis that goes on between the two of them mm-hmm. and then crystal breaks that ice and it's just like oh so that's how that relationship's going to be established here's the power dynamic and then that just continues and gets harder and harder and harder as the movie goes on i gotta say her life seems pretty depressing if that's a great, <laughs> i don't know i just like yeah it's her circumstance i, mean, I don't know when as the movie goes on they eventually get to rapid city you know south dakota and it's revealed that that's where she's from and it's kind of like humanizing her yeah. a little bit mm-hmm. too like oh wait you're just like the rest of these people looking to escape something and to continue to be on the run from a hometown or an abusive situation or whatever it may be. So I thought that was cool to kind of bring her back in as a character, too. And I guess that kind of goes with my next question, because she's part of this next question. I do want to focus a bit on how this film donned the Confederate flag twice. And once was at the start of the film when we uh, see Star's dad. He had a huge Confederate flag in his living room behind his TV. Crystal was wearing a Confederate flag bikini. Also, there were a few times uh, white people in this film said the N-word. And uh, our main actress is part black and part Maori, which is an indigenous tribe in New Zealand. Um, Yeah, we don't focus much on race at all in this movie. Uh, Kevin, was this a service or disservice to the film? I think this was an absolute service to the film because it focused on a group of people where race did not matter. In, in the real-life situation with these magazine kids and where they're going and the struggle of these um, small-town people, race does not play a focal role in it. And, and from what we see on the film, mm-hmm. poverty doesn't play sides. It's black, it's white, it's any color, it's any creed. And I think this film does a very good job of making sure that we don't differentiate that. In other than we see, obviously, some of the rich, upper-class, white communities um accentuated in the film but for our main character's purpose um i was attuned to this question kind of as i was looking through the whole movie and they do a very good job of 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 kind of making sure that it's not a point at all they mention one thing 
Um, and it's one small scene. And one of the, her friends just says, I don't know how you can have dreads. It's so hot. <laughs> and it's the only reference to like something <laughs> mm-hmm. that you would take yeah. as being maybe slightly racial. And it's not. It's about a hairstyle. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. and it's about how you're discomfortable. It's like nothing else. And it was just... I really appreciated the way they did it because, like I said earlier, it doesn't make a difference what color you are. These people are all from the same situation, trying to escape something, trying to go somewhere. So it absolutely was a service to the film, um, and I thought they did a, a very classy job with it. The use of them in the film, it just it felt kind of organic. I mean, like the play, you know, Oklahoma, where she was at in, in the situation she was in, definitely seemed to fit the style of a, you know, the personnel in the household that would have it and then just the the use of it throughout the film just felt i guess very organic and felt like yeah it it didn't surprise me that i would see something like that so i thought it was you know it was in the film because it felt organic and just seemed natural to be there i suppose i did take a small note on the the bikini with the confederate flag the the intent of leaving the tag still on it that it was clearly either shoplifted or returnable yeah. or something it was just I'm, it was it was clearly intendedly left on there for yeah. a reason and i'm not sure what we were supposed to take from it i took from it that it was just recently stolen and it felt like mm-hmm. oh i'm just gonna wear this because maybe the tanning thing i don't know but i just thought that was interesting for sure yeah i definitely think that the confederate flags had a villainous intent with her wearing it and the, with the dad having it in the background so that's a conscious effort of the director, but also that would just be part of the culture if you're down south. In Oklahoma, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no one would be surprised at seeing it. I, I see it here in Wisconsin on occasion. It's it's absolutely, like, as sickening as it is, it's real. It's it's life, you know? I was just going to go off of what Kelly said. I mean, Crystal 100% was wearing that at that scene where she was getting Shia LaBeouf to, you know, Give, rub down her legs and stuff in front of uh, our main character, specifically out of spite. I mean, it was 100% just a power move and to use everything from her body to her clothing to her power over Shyla to uh, just make her as uncomfortable and just you know show her power over yeah. her, I guess. It's, it's definitely a sociological thing, uh, and as big like civil war history nerd um it it has to do with lost cause ideology and this like you know horribly fucked up ideology that erased the real reasons for the civil war that has been carried down from generation to generation you know saying we weren't the bad guys in the civil war blah 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 you know like we should be able to wear this flag it's part of our history and yeah i don't know it's embedded in the south and middle america for uh horrible reasons so, so what I, do you think about the use of race in this film then, Eric? So same um, question to you then. I see the thing is I do definitely believe, uh, especially like after the last few years, like I you know, I had had several waking up moments in twenty twenty and George Floyd, um, that it is much harder to be uh African American and poor in the United States than even white and poor in the United States mm-hmm. because on top of all of the issues you have with poverty and you know, trying to get a leg up in this really kind of fucked up, like, capitalist system that we have. You also have the police that are constantly after you and also other people that might not be giving you a job or letting you rent somewhere because of the color of your skin. And it's less than it was in the 1960s and 70s, but it's still a thing, you know? And, yeah. 
I found myself asking, like, <laughs> where are all the black kids in their <laughs> posse that's going, like, across the country? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when Crystal wears the Confederate bikini, and she's the one who, quote-unquote, hires people. She hired Star, but she also pays Shia to go out and pay him a finder's fee. Mm-hmm. It's actually probably that. <laughs> but yeah. that that kind of answered that for me. Because for a while, I was wondering, like, why... Why is this group so white? Yeah. Yeah. And to kind of, you know, like lift ourselves up, we we got to keep moving forward. And, and like in this film, they bond together and they become friends, you know, so that they can try to get through the, everything they're going to through together, which I think is a point to Kevin's original point, too, is that the actual bonds made in this film and friendships, you know, it it doesn't have to do with race. It It's just you know, people that are all in the same shitty situation together in a way. So, yeah. And and not to sit on it too much longer, but we look at the kind of the use, uh, not the use, but how, how much black culture kind of affects or is yeah. used in this film mm-hmm. from all of the hip hop to some of just the slang and just kind of the general feel of it. Like, it's definitely an um, homage to that, that influence is real in America. And that should be absolutely credited for, you know, for a lot of the, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it was just, it was very evident that they wanted to embrace the realism of everything in this film. And that was, was clear throughout the start. Um, plain and simple. Um, and I'm going to loop a few questions together here. Although I believe this movie was mainly about lower class America and, you know, middle America and the South. I, I do believe a big plot driver of this movie was the romance between Jake and star. And the big pivotal scenes are when Jake and Star, they make out on the lawn uh, after they attempt to sell magazines to that Christian lady. And the other pivotal scene, obviously, is when they have sex in a stolen car in a cornfield uh, after Star drinks the mezcal with the worm in in it uh, with the three older men, the cowboys in Nebraska, uh, before Jake robs them, steals their car. Kelly, I wanted you to kind of talk about these two scenes, the tension between Star and Jake, and the romance that ensues after, uh, I, you know, what, what do you think Star's motivation is? And what did you think of how this romance was portrayed in this film? I don't even know if I can at, like answer what her real motivation was. I know she wants to get a trailer. She wants to get married. She wants to have kids. And she just likes Shia for some reason. And it's clearly a destructive, dysfunctional relationship between the two of them. But I think that they have hearts of gold underneath. So it gave me hope for them. Like, there's this weirdness going on. It's not a healthy relationship. It probably never will be. But in another place, another time, I think that they would work great together. That lawn scene, and also in the van, too, they are like predator and prey. The way Mm -hmm. that she almost leads the chase physically. Like, come capture me. And he follows into it. When they're on the lawn, he looks like a lion capturing a gazelle or something. (laughs) But with all those scenes in mind, too, it sounds kind of scary, but it was portrayed like really playful and like actually kind of sweet, which I find myself thinking is kind of weird that I felt that way, but I did. And after all the craziness that they're in the stolen car, in the cornfield, and all this, I found that that scene where they actually have sex, that they actually get that intimate, also, to me, was, like, really sweet. I thought it was a really good sex scene. I thought that you could feel, like, the actual, like, like love between them. So 
it really surprised me how much I actually really liked them together, just in that knowing that it's never going to last, but I like what they have right now. That's how I felt about it. For sure. Kevin? All right, so I listened to an interview that uh, Shasha Lane did, and the interviewer asked specifically about these sex scenes. And Shasha Lane basically says that she went into it with the full intent of making it as real as humanly possible. And she kind of alluded to the sense that she was treating Shia LaBeouf as if they were together or in love or something more than an actor. And when you're an actress who've never done a scene, let alone a That's sex crazy. scene, like, <laughs> to be able to do that. And, and I love Kelly's response because she didn't know that and just watched it and it felt yeah. cute and real because it was because this actress took this intimate moment and was like, I, if I'm doing this, I'm going all out. I was sitting there. I was wondering, I'm like, man, these are really intimate scenes, like two minute long mm-hmm. scenes or whatever. But it does so much for the service of the movie in the long run, and it's because of the authentic nature of them. I don't want to get overly graphic about it, but I think Kelly nailed it perfectly. Um, The chase, the way that she leads everything, it's her initiation of her desires, of what she wants, and that's so powerful from a whole different, different reasons. But it was just well done. Major props to Sasha Lane in that, and I I guess we're getting uh, artistic about sex scenes, but it's true. We don't get a lot of good ones, honestly. They don't exist. Agreed. Yeah. Cole, same question to you. Uh, Kind of Star's motivations and, you know, the romance between Star and Jake, but also, what did you think of the cinematography of this film done by uh, Robbie Ryan? Lots of close ups, lots of intimate shots, all handheld film. It was all handheld. So, what did you think of that? Let's let's talk about the cinematography. So I did not enjoy that it was a handheld film, and you could tell it was handheld. And I understand certain people, I think, liked the appeal because it kind of gave it like a realistic documentary-type feel. But um, one of the sex scenes that Kelly was talking about where they're in the grass um, and they basically fall onto the camera to the point where the cameraman is like tracking the camera back. And he's like, mm-hmm. please don't yeah. hurt this thing. And then it like, <laughs> d- it like focuses on the grass and then focuses back on them. And then they keep making out and having their sex scene. And then they get closer to it. And he's like, Jesus. And then he eventually just like picks it up. And he's like, I guess I'll just hold on to this thing while they're mm-hmm. making out. And, <laughs> and in a sense, it's like super raw and real and like, yeah, like I think that the the sex scenes were probably some of the best in terms of like feeling like reality went into film, but it just the cinematography part of it just kind of drove me crazy. A lot of shaky cam, a lot of guys like running around with the camera and stuff, and I'm like, I just wish, you know, I just watched another movie that was just shaky cam all over the place, and it just drives me crazy. You have like a three million dollar budget. You can't buy like one steady cam or a gimbal system or something. I don't know, but um, <clears throat> that was like a big pet peeve of mine throughout this film. Okay, that's fair. The romance between Star and Jake. Uh, what do you think of their romance together? Yeah, I mean, they definitely had chemistry. They clearly showed it, and I thought, you know, all the moments they had were very real and felt very powerful. They also had a very messed up relationship, like Kelly alluded to. I mean, the whole entire time mm-hmm. I'm watching them, you know, every time that they're interacting and like the with like the prey predator type vibe going on, I'm just waiting for someone to like, you know, Shia LaBeouf to like push it over the edge and then to, for it to just turn dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, like this whole film, I felt like we were on the edge of just on the very edge of something about to go really bad. Like, you know, he pushes it 
too far mm-hmm. or, you know, one of these people that she hops in the vehicle with is going to, you know, do something terrible and it's going to take a very dark turn. And the Cowboys yeah, did. That was... like, <laughs> this whole film, I just felt like we were right on the edge of like, this girl is about just like, what the hell is she doing? Things are about to go bad. But, you know, it never really goes I guess as far as I or as dark as I thought it would, which is a good thing. But at times, you know, during those scenes, I'm like, I, just right on the edge. But, you know, I thought I thought they did a, a good job portraying that and portraying that kind of, you know, emotionally, emotional, abusive kind of side with Shia and how he like is super jealous. But at the same time, he's with Crystal and he's, you know, getting other girls and all that stuff. Very, very, very well done in terms of that. Of, you know, their relationship. Uh, cinematography wise. Yeah. I, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, for how long the film is, it is hard to do like a whole film in steady cam <laughs> yeah. or sorry, a handheld film like that. Like there's a few shots that I, I noted, like, uh, there was a shot of a puddle of like water, uh, on, on a street. And at first we see kind of the light just glimmering off of it. And then, uh, we zoom out a bit and we see it's just a puddle of water. And initially, I thought it was a lake or something. Then I was like, oh, that's just a puddle of water. And there there are little tricks that I think uh, Robbie Ryan, the cinematographer, does in this film that kind of give it this indie cinema vibe that kind of give it art film vibe, you know? And An it, it A24 goes vibe? An A24 vibe, yeah. yeah. I got to watch how, how many vibes I use because, you know, that's, <laughs> that's very overused by film critics. Kevin? Um, just two quick notes on cinematography, and I'm not an, a, a massive cinephile, so this is partially stolen, but I, I read that it was filmed in a 4-3 uh, ratio aspect. So mm-hmm. with the blocking in, that really gave us that um, in-your-face view that we've been talking about as far as the getting to know your characters, um, and I thought that was pivotal in the, creating the realism aspect. Um, and then I love the way that she shot from below and put a lot of backdrops, uh, made her characters feel uh, larger in life. Um, you got to see a lot of the blue sky behind them and kind of just created this imagery that they were, you know, these hyped up big badass kids, which they the movie kind of um, put them out to be in some circumstances and which they needed to be to survive. So I thought that was pretty cool. With that aspect ratio, when it's that kind of square screen, when you know that everything's widescreen now, you know that that's a, a choice that's being made. And as soon as I saw the movie load and I was like, <laughs> oh, we're going to have black bars on the side of our widescreen, it takes me back to like this movie to me what that means um being completely not in the world of movie making it takes me back to like when tvs were square like when i was a kid and like we had like a big boob tube that's like how we would watch it and it's like okay i'm about to watch like a timeless tale that's what this means to me and it also means the cinematographer wants to very clearly tell us Pay attention to the way that I'm going to show everything on screen. I made an active choice right here at the beginning. Hope you noticed it. Keep your eyes on the screen. I got a lot more to show you. And then that is the case. The handheld for me, just as a taste thing, got exhausting by the end of the movie. I like the authenticity behind it, but I think that mixing it gives more contrast and it makes the handhelds like stand out more. And, and I think using it for the whole two and a half, sorry, Kelly, it just makes yeah. it feel episodic, right? If it, if the whole thing is in the exact same way, you could break it up into 45-minute segments or whatever, and it more feels like you know, watching episodes of something because it's just all continual. So, yeah, it did wear on me by the end of it, for sure. Yeah. And the other thing is the with those close shots, too, it's so many close shots of us with Star 
And I understand that we're supposed to be seeing it from her point of view. I understand that we're in her head. They give us a lot of shots really, really close on her face throughout the whole movie. That said, though, (laughs) there are, like, really amazing ones. There's just these, like, atmospheric things. Um, You mentioned the pool. There was one where cars driving by, and it's just blackness and red lights going by. And I think that any of us have kind of seen that in our life before, but it's just this, like paying attention to just these like really small things even in like the dimmest like lowest parts of maybe your personal life there is this weird beauty and even like the like most mundane things and i think that the cinematographer captured a lot of that agreed yeah well very well put and so moving on here's our uh music question but I didn't want to just ask, uh, what did you think of the music in here? Because I don't actually think that's exactly the point. Um, there's a lot of long scenes of car sing-alongs. And so I wanted to specifically more ask, what do you think of how much music was in this film and why so many long music scenes? And I'll give this to Kevin, who's our resident music guy. So <laughs> if any of you have been on any sort of road trip of any length, you know that music is an absolute necessity um, right after the bat. You get about half hour in, 45 minutes, you're like, all right, what's on, what's on music? You load up on audiobooks. You bring your entire library full of CDs you maybe haven't touched, your iPod. Whatever it may be, music is incredibly important to every road trip. And so when we have our director taking a personal road trip while writing this, while we have our, our film crew and our actors literally taking road trips while filming this, there's probably music being played during this entirety of this thing. So I believe that our writer and director and the film team and everything wanted to make that vibe very, very real. That while you're traveling in this family unit, while you're doing this door-to-door lifestyle, music is going to be your backdrop. And the only thing you have to play it is likely this van. And they did a really good job of making that van be that musical centerpiece, that that unit where you heard it bumping, you coming around the corner, whether it be in a parking lot, like them getting out and dancing at the oil fields. Uh, there's just so many places where that van and the music, without it, the, I can't even imagine the movie, to be honest with you. Like, it's, it's from the beginning, it's to the end, that final scene, I know we're going to talk about the ending, but I get goosebumps just thinking about it right now, when they're singing American Honey as a group. I almost got emotional just thinking about what you know being in that situation. There's another thing with the music that I really appreciate in this movie is the use of the lyrics in the background of our characters listening. So the first thing we get is that um, we fell in love in a hopeless place being played in that mega store when the two characters meet for the very first time. <laughs> so now we have this you know this background thought like oh okay there's there um, we get uh, the, from the the weird. Um, incestuous scenes with the dad like i don't want you to love me i just want to take your time like you there's so many different parts in this film and i wrote down a lot of different lines from the movie where it's just the music spoke the line that the writer could have wrote or the the screenplay could have had and that's brilliant to me that's using another piece of media inside your media and just allowing your viewer to kind of decide whether they are listening to it as a song or if they're listening to it as a part of your movie and for me, I'm always attuned 
to the music higher than than almost anything else just because I think it really brings everything together and I just loved every aspect of it from the hip hop to the country to the uh, the boss like we get everything in this movie <laughs> and it's and it was uh, we talked about the realism we talked about the authenticity of this film and it was just because of those reasons that I mean I'll, I'll gush on it more when I get to my review but I loved the music um, the soundtrack was very very good it was authentic and it was a great choice uh, so props to them Cole so you showed me the song I Like To by Carnage and I Love McConan, uh, <laughs> and the lyrics go, I like to make money, get turnt, got the white girl twerking like the work, you know? And that's just yeah. beautiful American poetry, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I mean, so what I think about the music in this film, with a lot of Top 40 radio in, in America, you are kind of always juxtaposing the glitz and glamour of America, American culture and in this film, you know, they hear the music of just, like, people talking about making money all the time, like, making a lot of money. And we kind of, we juxtapose what we hear in music and see in media versus the reality of what life is like for the majority of Americans. And it's kind of like the flaunting of the American dream that most people can never achieve, you know? And that's what I kind of feel like with this film, with how much music they put in it. One, yeah, car, you know, road trip movie. But two, uh, I think it's like a lot of these people thinking about the lyrics in this music and like what they want to make of themselves when they constantly can't achieve it. Um, Cole, rein me in here. Do you think that's a fair uh, assessment? Or yeah, yeah, no, I, I I wholeheartedly agree with what you just said. I mean, like this is probably one of the few uh, movies we watched where I like really, really like the soundtrack most because it's a lot of songs that I listened to when I was in college and and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, was having a good time at bonfires with friends and some of that. So a lot of, a lot of brought a lot of those feelings and stuff back, and, and definitely captured what they were trying to do. But yeah, those songs. I mean, the the choices of those songs, the use of them, especially in like society and how they were used in this film, is a hundred percent what you just said. I mean, like it's all about making money, and like the whole point of all these kids is we're gonna make three hundred dollars a day. We're gonna be rich. We're gonna go on road trips. We're gonna have a party all night. You know, drugs and all that stuff, and have a great time. But in reality. You know, no one, the only person that's really doing that is maybe the guy singing the song if he gets big. And, you know, like <laughs> it's very, very, very small percentage of people that ever acting actually get to live that life. But those songs are, you know, so fun and they, you know, express a lot and they, they kind of give people the, that brief moment of, yeah, you know, we're going to get out there, we're going to, you know, make a shit ton of money and have a good time doing it. Yeah, and I want to re reiterate that this is mostly top 40 radio because I'm never going to say music isn't like there's so much music out there that is not about making money and it's about so much more than that, you know, and I, I'm not going to, yeah, do a critique of all American music here. But yeah, stars foray into sex work. Uh, Cole was kind of talking about this earlier, how we all always kind of feel something's going to go wrong. Star is always kind of on the edge of something going wrong and luckily nothing ever does and uh kelly the scene with the oil man he you know offers her one thousand dollars to hang out later and then he drives her to this oil rig that's on fire in the background and this is kind of the foray into sex work from star what were they trying to say with this scene and also what did you think of this scene goodness big questions yeah no they're kidding. like leading up to it even with Crystal drops them, drops just the girls off. 
and is like, dance for these guys. They make a lot of money. There's no women around them. And then she rides off. (laughs) And the guys straight up ask them, are you prostitutes or what? Which at that time, too, I was asking myself, well, I asked myself earlier in the movie, why aren't all these kids selling drugs and being prostitutes? Why is it magazine sales if this is the life that they're living? But regardless, it's 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 all about magazines at the end of the day. I guess they are a little more moral than that, a little more uh, following the law. Anyways, that's not what you asked me. The oil rig guys, the one like she does what she does. She hops in the back of a truck with these three guys and they're like, you're legitimately following us just to try to sell us magazines like bullshit. They call her on it and she doesn't know any better. It was just like, there was so much, there's a whole bigger conversation happening over what they were just saying. And I don't know if they did the same thing for finding these oil rig guys, but they seemed like legitimate men who would be out on an oil rig, 100%. Like when the guy's like, I'll give you 500 to hang out with me later. I love that she is able to be like, let's times it by two and we'll call it a deal. Not knowing maybe even then what she's getting herself into, but if she does, maybe she does. I love the way that it's, like, ambiguous. You can read below the surface. My interpretation might be different from your guys. That makes a good movie, in my opinion. When he picks her up, too, he gives her a whole bottle of wine because that's what girls like. And also because this guy clearly... I mean, it just says a lot about him. And I'll just leave it there. And he's like, I'll drive you to the... like. I don't know if it's called a pilot flame at an oil rig, but that's what it looked like to me. I don't understand how all of it works, but that's what she wanted to see. So he's being really romantic for her. And then he ends up just telling her, just just shut up, stop talking. (laughs) When it gets to the point of the actual like action of what he's paying for. I don't know. It seemed like very like bubble wrapped safe encounter, which I don't want to see or hear anything more in a movie. So I appreciated that. But man, if my breath wasn't held the entire time for her. And it's ambiguous in her mind. And in my mind, watching her, what is going to happen between the two of them? Like, what does all he said was hang out? Does she know what that really means? Or do am I supposed to know what that really means? It was ambiguous, I think. And you're scared. And she is too. They did a good job of putting me in her shoes. I'm rambling. I'm all over the place, but I loved how they did that. And I think that the guy who acted that scene as well was so legitimate that it felt like, and also because of the handheld camera, it felt like I was actually there for like that encounter. The way that he was, the way that I felt like I was in the backseat of it. And even now I'm like holding my breath just thinking about the whole scene. So I really liked that scene. Cole, uh, what, as somebody who's probably seen oil, seen an oil rig before, <laughs> um, what did you think of this scene? How thirsty are the guys? Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, if you're, uh, yeah. So the the construction workers and the guys on the oil rig or like the pipeline workers and stuff, uh, they nailed them to a T. Like they, hundred percent, look like they just rolled up on a job site and was like, "Hey, you guys want to be in a movie?" And if you're ever on a construction site with a bunch of guys like that and any woman rolls up it is like a complete shit show like cat calling all that stuff i mean there's been times where we'll have like a haul truck driver that is a woman and the radios will just start blowing up because everyone's like did you see who's driving a truck like 225 and you're just like oh god <laughs> okay but uh Jeez. they um no i mean they 
very well done. Like I said, this film felt very organic in terms of how they portrayed everything. And um, they they definitely nailed it. And, I mean, those guys make make a lot of money. You can make some damn good money doing that stuff. But you are you are working a lot and you are in the middle of nowhere. And there is typically not a lot of women around. So they nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, what they were kind of say is, or trying to say is, like, this is kind of how people get looped into sex work. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're yeah. already working a shitty job uh, and you're having a lot of trouble just making any money whatsoever. And then you kind of see the appeal, the fire of making way more money. And um, yeah, like I, I think that she kind of knew what uh, might have happened and she was kind of game for it when it came time. Like, you know, things could have gotten a lot worse, though. But uh, I, I think that they were trying to like show... A lot of these magazine salespeople, you know, they the whole point isn't actually to sell magazines, obviously. That's very hit over the head through the whole film. But, like, it's also, it's a vehicle into much worse work. And um, I think that is what the film is kind of trying to show in general is that, like, when you're already working a shitty job where you're not making a lot of money at all, it's usually a vehicle into things like prostitution, things like drug dealing, Things like, uh, you know, stealing jewelry, like uh, we know Jake does. Uh, Kevin? Um, two things on that scene. I really liked the cinematography in that scene of having the flame of just mm-hmm. that bright, bright, bright flame using the only light for that whole thing. I thought that was a really cool use. Um, and there was something in there um, in the lines where he basically alludes to that this was going to happen anyway, right? He says yeah. something along the lines of, if you're going to get drunk and taken advantage of, you might as well get paid for it. And, like, that was so real in the sense of, wow. Because the whole movie is already depicting what life is for all of these individuals already. And we've already seen the sexual abuse in this film. Like, we already know that this is absolutely a real-life thing. But in this circumstance, she's actually controlling a little bit more. So there's a little bit more of that uh, mm-hmm. controlling side of it, too. But I just thought that was really interesting. Like, and what you mentioned, too, it's a slippery slope. Like, that's that's how it starts. Like They did a very good job of, of kind of giving you that uh, illusion without ham-fisting it for you. All right, so we're kind of nearing the end here, and I actually just kind of want to know what you guys think about the two characters here as we leave them at the end of this film. Uh, we have talk of the American dream here, and we kind of figure out Star and Jake's, like, kind of final what their motivations might be. Cause I think they're both very young. They don't really know what they exactly want, uh, at the start of this film. And they kind of eventually try to figure out, you know, what they want. And they both say, you know, nobody's ever asked me what my dream is, you know, and star wants to live in a trailer with a big family. Jake wants to live in the woods in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, like the difference in their dreams is, is kind of interesting too. And also, so, you know, more is revealed about Jake. He was very dodgy with Star, this whole film, maybe even emotionally abusive. And we figure out Jake is paid $100 per woman by Crystal uh, to find women to work in the magazine crew. We also know he has a huge sum of stolen jewelry. And uh, also, Star, she uses her money from that sex work scene to buy kids groceries. In the end, you know, we see her dipping into a lake after setting free a turtle. And so my question to Kelly here is, what do you think of these two characters at the end of the film uh, compared to, you know, where we started with them? I just think that they both have a little more taste of individuality and freedom, but I think they're far from actually anywhere 
from a- obtaining their goals. So it's a really like heartbreaking feeling. You've you followed them along, and I think they did a good job enough of making me like both of them, and I just feel like hopeful and hopeless at the same time about what their futures are going to be. I think that Shia LaBeouf's character, Jake, is, represents the end of what that road looks like for one of these youths. Someone who's been on the road for a long time, someone who's been across the country, who has made his money, has made his plan, has stolen so much jewelry. Like, that jewelry is clearly a long, long time, and his position with the company, all of these things represent someone who's been on the road for a very, very long time. And then you get the complete opposite in our character of Star, who is just coming onto the road. Putting those two together creates a a, a massive dichotomy already from just that experience, but then they break it down even farther and we get the initial lust. Then we get the breakdown of, well, let's find out about your dreams. And then we get the jealousy. And like their character continues to develop even more so all the way into the very end of the film. And I'm so glad that they brought him back. Because when Crystal said that Jake's not welcome here anymore and that was the end of it and he was gone, I was disappointed. I was like, that's it? That's that's the last we get of, of this entire character? I was legitimately like disappointed. And then we see him in the van and I was like one of those all right, this is still going. There's still this movie was was so interesting because it made me believe that it was real while knowing that it was not. So just great, great work. Those two, I love the way it ended. Honestly, I didn't feel left out. I didn't feel it cheaped at all. All right, Cole. Uh, yeah, what did you think of those two characters compared to where we started with them? But also, what did you think of the end of this film? You know, ending on the uh, campfire dance. Yeah, I thought um, it was definitely a long process of uh exploring and seeing their changes throughout and obviously like kevin alluded to with shia labeouf's character you he doesn't necessarily change but he he opens up and you learn more about him through the process of you know how he's been there for a long time and clearly has some type of plan but crystal definitely has a hold over him and he's afraid to leave and then you have star who's trying to get out of a bad situation and realizes that maybe there's not a lot of good situations out there and she kind of changes as she you know is trying to survive and what she's willing to do i liked the ending around the bonfire because it's you know kind of sums up the whole you know i guess the good parts about it where you have a collection of you know teenagers and 20 something year olds just having a good time very carefree you know they just partying the night away with the whole ending with the turtle and it being kind of ambiguous. I would have liked to see a little bit more of closure in terms of what star and Jake's plans are, I guess, or, you know, is she going to go home? Are they going to get out? Are they going to leave the the crew? Like what, what eventually happens? Does it fizzle out? I mean, for a three hour movie, I would have liked to have known something like that. Um, But you know, I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Alrighty, so uh, let's get to our reviews, and if, uh, Kelly or Kevin, if you want to roll your thoughts on the ending into your review, that's cool too. Um, and Kevin, I will start with you. Uh, review, go ahead. Alright, I'm going to start with talking about the ending because we're fresh on that topic still, and it seems to make sense for me. Um, I really kind of enjoyed how there was a subtle moment where um, Star started dancing. She, she 
for Kelly alluded to earlier, so much of this film, we see her just staring out a window. We just see this, this so many times I wrote in my notes, what is she thinking? What is she looking at? What is this? And she's not really showing that kind of emotion. She's always watching other people dance. She's always watching other people sing. And now in that moment, she really just gives into it. And she just is fully part of the crew. And I love that. Um, and the water part was awesome because earlier we saw that she was afraid of, you know, she doesn't know how to swim and the, the water scene with the cowboys and all of that and how she kind of conquers that and, you know, does the flourish with the water and all of that jazz. So let's get to the review itself. Um, I'm trying not to repeat myself on a couple of these things. Um, and I'm gonna try to keep it brief because there's a lot I could say on this movie. Um, it's so a 24 is what I'll start with. Um, it is so A24 because it took a two hour and 45 minute movie about one subject and a group of kids that didn't really have a stylized plot and it made me interested in the whole thing. It was certainly a movie that it's never really been something that I've ever seen personally. I love that it's all based on true life events, things that absolutely happened, um, especially happened to these people. Like they lived together for this entire summer going through this process and it's represented on the screen. That, to me, makes a great product, something that really is authentic in that sense. Um, we kind of hit all of the, the big highlights on the head from the acting performances to the soundtrack and how it um, not just had a great background, but really moved the story forward. Uh, the poverty in this film, the way that it showed the haves and the haves-nots, the disparity, the real life. like This movie probably surprises some people when they watch it at the reality of what middle America looks like. But if you've seen it, it's out there, people. It's real. Like, go watch this movie and go look in any, you know, not even an inner city. Just look in your communities. Like, poverty's everywhere. And they just made you really think about that. Kelly talks about it all the time. And now I talk about it all the time that a movie has to make you feel. And this movie absolutely made me feel 100% of the time. Um, that being said, you know, a couple of the downsides, because every movie has a little bit, not everyone. But at least this one. Um, the length was certainly something um, they could have probably shaved a good half hour off by cutting out some of the, the longer scenes that we get repeated throughout the movie. Um, and then, of course, we talked about the shakiness of the handheld cam. But that only really diminishes it a little bit for me. Um, in the end, the performances were awesome. The authenticity was awesome. Uh, I really thought going into it, having no idea what I was getting myself into, um, and coming out on the other side being very impressed. Uh, I'm giving this movie a B plus 24. I will recommend it to my friends who have not seen it or who have no idea what a magazine crew is all about. And uh, I, I certainly am looking forward to uh, learning a little bit more, I guess, about all of this. So B plus 24 for me. Kelly, you up next. Okay, I have a pro pros and cons list, but most of my cons are exactly the same as Kevin's, so I'll touch them really quickly not to exhaust us all. The cons were the length, so many close shots, and the handheld camera. If <laughs> all of those could have been addressed, this would be a flawless movie to me. I, I really do think so. It was just too long, too close, gave it an exhausting kind of appeal. As much as I really liked every other aspect of it, it's just the amount of it that I think diluted the message um, was kind of how I felt. The first pro that I wrote down was the sex and intimacy scenes. I loved how they covered that, and I like that it's in this veil of people who are imperfect, but they're finding this love and intimacy in the way that they shot them. It was so refreshing. Like That was the biggest thing that I'm going to take away from this movie. 
I wrote down it's engaging. Throughout the whole movie, I wanted to see what happened next. And I think there was enough, like, different scenes between the way that... Another thing I liked about Crystal, as I was telling Eric, she's a marketing genius. I like that she prompts them from market to market. These are rich people. Approach them that way. These are poor people. Approach them this way. I want you to dress this way. I want you to speak this way. And she kind of drives them around and gives them, like, a spiel beforehand. So that kind of stuff, because we're also moving on a road trip with them, it was just constantly engaging to me, as even with all of the length of the whole film. And then I wrote down that it was timeless, but it's actually not timeless. It's a period piece. And these kind of road trips, these kind of like groups, these this kind of like driving down the road and they have a shot where they show Taco Bell, Burger King, McDonald's, Walmart, every single store that's on every single exit of every single highway, <laughs> like anywhere in America. That is just our reality. And it's probably not going to be that way forever, but it is right now. And it it's a huge part of just American culture. So I really felt like remove me from America and let me see it from an outsider's perspective. And they, they showed me that. And then the last thing that was a big pro is Kevin shared with me this article right before we started recording about how it's showing us the female gaze from Star. And I didn't actually look at it from that perspective at first, but it's 100% true. And part of that is being an object and being looked at. And how are you going to respond to that? And I love that Star's way is for most of it, she kind of ignores it. So you kind of watch these scenes with like the cowboys and you're scared for her. And she's like, the way I'm going to go about this is I'm going to live my life. And I know that I'm like, we can see as the viewer, her being like preyed upon, basically her being stared at her being eaten with people's eyes. I love a movie that's going to show us something like that. So this all said, it was it was a ride from beginning to end. I felt like I went on a whole road trip. It was <laughs> <laughs> with all the pros and cons that go with it. Um, I really liked it. It'll be a while probably before I see it again. And there's just like very specific people that I would probably recommend it to. I feel like you got to sit down and be like, I want to watch a documentary about lower class America in 2013. Like you want to like... You need to be in that kind of mindset to sit down and digest this whole thing, I feel. But it's very, like Kevin said, A24. I'm glad that it exists, and I think that they did it really well. So it's a B24 from me. All right. Cole, you up next. I, uh, as, as you know, listeners probably know by now, I really, really enjoy slice-of-life films. Slice-of-life films. I like, I like diving into the you know normal lives of people and or not so normal lives but the you know the, kind of the grounded um views and depictions and stuff you also probably know that i am a big proponent of 90 minute films <laughs> so this film has has a, a real struggle for me uh, i uh i really wanted to like this film more than i did um there are certain things that i struggled with um the you know, two hour, 45 minute runtime or whatever it was. Um, and it all being handicam got, like Kelly said, very exhausting for me. I, I think the handicam is a asset to films, but it should not be the sole way you film a movie of this length. 
and especially one that you know has you know three and a half million dollar budget i know that doesn't go very far in films nowadays but um, i felt like they could have done more and it felt like it did a disservice to the film itself i also going with the time frame i mean with it being two hours and 45 minutes they could have shaved it off a lot and made i think a really nice tight film that really shows a lot of the depictions um, one thing i kind of got a little annoyed by was it felt like there was a lot of the same story beats every time they go to you know she tries to sell a magazine she can't sell it she then jumps into a vehicle with some stranger and then you know eventually progresses slowly towards selling her body every single time she gets a little bit closer a little bit closer and then she always gets away relatively unharmed like that you know we're always she's on the fence but she never falls over the fence to like where it goes bad and she always gets away relatively scot-free and then she repeats it and it just felt like we were doing the same motions which I understand why, because every motion we got one step closer to eventually towards, you know, the oil rig scene. But I felt like we could have, you know, cleaned that up, trimmed it up, made it a shorter story and, and, and told, I think, the same impactful story without having it be so drawn out to the point where, I don't know, I just got exhausted towards the end. Um, however, uh, going off of like good points, um, they did a very, very good job with the casting. It felt very organic. Um, I did not realize that all these people were just people they found, and it definitely makes sense because they fit they fit the vibe. I mean, they did a phenomenal job of depicting kids traveling across the country, selling magazines, getting into trouble, doing you know whatever they have to do, and having a good time, and you know the struggles and, and of it, and the depiction of you know poverty and lower class throughout the country, and those you know, long gaps between the big cities. I mean, you know, like you guys alluded to, or Eric talked about with the podcast from the, you know, the British guys, you know, you go over to Europe, everything's so close. <laughs> you come to the States, you drive from one big city to the next. It could be hours of not seeing anything, but, you know, rolling landscape and truck stops. So I thought that was very cool to see that. Um, I think overall, I'm going to give this a C24. Like I said, I wish I would have liked it more than I do. You know, there's definitely people that I would recommend it to, but man, you got to put away an afternoon to watch this bad boy. All right, and uh, my review, uh, I agree with you all. Like, just, it, it was a long film. It was two hours, 40 minutes, and uh, the observationalist style of filmmaking, that's what Andrea Arnold, I guess, is known for. Uh, she has also done a film called Fish Tank, which was very well-received, and her kind of style is being an observationalist. And that's definitely what I feel like this film is. It's an observation on kind of the depressing and chaotic lifestyles of the lower class of America. And it's definitely a challenge to the pick yourself up by the bootstraps mentality as a lot of these people we follow are from broken homes. They have no generational wealth to speak of. And this film is kind of meant to show when you're forced into an extremely exploitative job with no safety net, and if you uh, lose your job, you have nowhere to go. You're you're fucked. You know, like you're <laughs> you're just gonna be left on the side of the side of the road somewhere. And I, I think that's you know a constant thing in this film is that feeling like this is a horrible job, but like at the same time, where what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna go if I if I lose my job? You know, and I, I think Andrea Arnold did a fantastic job of creating our male or our main female heroine. 
and giving her depth and a lot of subtext uh, below all of her decisions in this film without showing much of her past. And I, I enjoyed that a lot. And um, it definitely captured the underbelly of America with its scenery. Uh, I agree that for how long it was, the handicam was like, you know, too much here. But like, yeah, they could have easily chopped 45 minutes off of this film. And I think that it would have been even more impactful. Uh, it would have had more of an exclamation point at the end with that ambiguous ending. Um, and viewing this film in 2023, I think is really interesting because I feel like a lot of uh, films of this ilk have been done since 2016. I think of another um, A24 film called The Florida Project, yeah. which uh, I have actually haven't seen that movie, but I like know what it's about. And I've like Kelly watched it. Um, and I know the whole plot, but like, also there's been a lot of other films that I know, like that I've watched uh, that have done this, but even better. And so I respect that this was probably very unique at the time, but like watching in 2023, I don't know how, how well it's aged in my opinion. So saying all that, I still respect this film and I enjoyed watching it, even though I felt it was a bit of a slog with its runtime. So I'm going to give this a B minus 24. And there we have it. Uh, I, I, I have one note that I forgot to mention uh, based off of Shia LaBeouf. One, one singular note. Yeah, so this film was, uh, they filmed it in 50... Actual cannibal Shia Yeah, LaBeouf. they filmed this in 56 days. During the filming, Shia LaBeouf got 12 actual tattoos during this movie because he's such a good method actor. <laughs> so that equates to him getting and a tattoo. was sent to the hospital yes. in one of the s- yeah. scenes yeah. as well. So he, I think he it was the motorcycle up- scene. Getting a tattoo every 4.67 days during the filming of this film. Oh my god! Wow! <laughs> Goodness <So>. gracious! <laughs> what? That man was just living his best yeah, life. He's just—he's a maniac. I think he loved this movie. Yeah. Honestly, he probably did. Yeah. I mean, he got what? Well, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, he probably did. Well, that being said, next week, tune around. We're gonna start going back to weekly weekly releases, and we're gonna do something called A24 Vibes discussions. Kevin will have more on you for that next week, but uh, the subject will be our top 10 80s films and also which one of them inspired A24 films. Thank you for listening. Please rate and subscribe us. We are on uh, everything, all major podcast platforms. Plus, uh, we now have a TikTok. We're, I mean, we're all millennials <laughs> here, but, you know, we're with the Gen Zers with uh, having a what TikTok What are the kids now? now? So, hell yeah. Uh, please subscribe, A24 <laughs> on the rocks. All right. Have a good night, you all. Bye. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye-bye.